Welcome to He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael Russo and Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, welcome back. It's He Said, She Said Razor Branding Podcast with Michael and Jackie Russo. Michael, what did you think of today's guest, Nathan? He was way smarter than us, and that seems right? to be a common thread right now. <laughs> so does that mean that we need to get smarter or that we need to pay Christina more to keep finding us these really great guests? Yeah, no, it was good. I think we both learned a lot from it. Um, and also at the same time, it's always refreshing because a lot of the um, the alignment came together. Like we're on the same page with certain things and certain beliefs, which is nice. It's refreshing to know that people out there doing things are, are doing them the way we're doing them and with the same belief Listener, system. This is code for they agree with me. Therefore, I like them. That's what Michael's telling us right now. Well, in this case, there was a lot of similarities. He was definitely a glass half full kind of guy and um, very positive about the changes that we're all going under. So that's a similarity to who? To you? No, to you, definitely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But some basic, you know, uh, philosophies. And towards the end, we got into a little bit more of an agency talk where we were kind of um, a little... I don't know, shop talk, I guess, Um, but it was interesting, I think, nonetheless, but he provided a lot of really good stuff about digital marketing and, um, you know, how to really kind of approach things. Yeah, it was it was it was positive. Yeah. Yeah. I like really if I was to sum this up and this is what I think if you keep listening, this is what you're going to find and enjoy the most is when he talked about how to be mass marketing, but targeted. That to me is the trick that everybody is trying to get their heads around right now. And I thought he had some really great thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many challenges right now. Um, he brought that up. It was like, you know, and he's right. I mean, there's so many challenges right now if you're a business. Um, if you're trying to reach your audience, find your audience. Um, there's so many options and, and so many opportunities too. So you have to be able to weed through all the mess to get to those opportunities, but they're out there. So maybe we should just let the people listen to Nathan. Let's do it. And so without further ado, joining us today, Nathan. Nathan, I appreciate um, your time today and that you're coming in to join us. And I have to tell everybody that I'm already um, enamored because as we were talking, you know, beforehand, every about that you slipped in there, I was like, I love the Canadian accent. So I have to know, do you have the OU um, set on your computer? So all of your uh, words are automatically done in Canadian English or are you rock some American English in there? So funny enough, my keyboard actually sp- is is actually on U.S. English because when you put it on Canadian, it starts putting like those French accents, and no one really wants that. I'm sorry, Quebec. If you're listening to this, if you got Quebec listeners, I'm sorry. You know, I just, but you know, I'm not French. I'm an Anglophone. Um, so so actually, no, it's on U.S. settings. <laughs> Well, and I have to ask, I have some friends who just moved from Lafayette, Louisiana, where we are, to Vancouver. And so she has started with the OUs and somebody called her on it in a text message the other day. And she's like, I can't help it. It it automatically translates. It's not on me. So now I ask people because I'm always curious. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I don't notice. That's 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 the truth. So yeah, maybe that's just because I'm so Canadian that now it's just inbreded in me and I it's just gone completely past my head. But um I I don't notice. If I if I if it does, it, it doesn't. But honestly, I will say I use grammarly a lot of times. So I do think a lot of my language is going out as US. Well, and I I'm so glad you brought up grammarly. Let's talk a little bit about some online tools. Um, as those Tools have become more available, and we could talk Grammarly, but I really kind of want to dig into the chat GPTs and the AIs. How much are you seeing that change 
negative and positively for the work you're doing and how you're doing it. I know that, you know, as I meet and talk to other agency people and, and creatives, there's some fear in it being replaceable. And then I just think, I feel like it's a tool, not a replacement. You know, if I have a hammer, I could still use a nail gun. It's not like one's going to become obsolete, different tools for different jobs. So how are y'all using these tools moving forward? So, you know, we, we always talk about it. And I think there's like a meme floating around uh, where it's like an image where it's just like, um, don't worry, AI isn't going to replace our jobs because that implies that our customers actually know what they want. Um, and, yes. and so, and so, you know, like how, how is someone going to do an AI prompt if they can barely figure out like what they actually want? So same thing for messaging, right? If, if they could figure out how to message, they, they wouldn't hire messaging people. So, so this, this whole reality that AI is going to replace us, I'm going to not say it's not an impossibility. I do think it's five, maybe six years, seven years away. Mm-hmm. The The reality though, right now though, is, is, is that AI is fundamentally going to change workflows. So um, I was one of the few agencies that I knew of that when ChatGPT launched, I actually hired a junior analyst and th- his entire job was to actually use ChatGPT and embed it in every single workflow we have in our organization. Wow. And so, so people were like, wow, that's like, that's pretty intense. I was like, well, why wouldn't you do that? We have a language model that's going to digest information far faster than you can ever read. So the reality is, is unless you have picture perfect memory, which is a very small percentage of the world, you are not reading faster than ChatGPT and you are not comprehending faster than GPT. So, there, so this this ability to to kind of cut through a lot of the foundational work to produce summaries to produce notes is 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 critical, and so we use it everywhere. Um, when it comes to the generative uh, image stuff, we use it um, kind of sparingly. Uh, I would say on the illustration side, we actually use it because it's a great way to go from illustrations to vector to editing, and so we we definitely use it on that sense. And for content writing, we definitely use it in content writing but you know i would say if i were to talk to my content team they would give it like a 50 to 60 percent in the sense of like how good the quality is straight from the actual um ai tool uh so so again is it going to replace people i'm going to say probably in the future yes is it going to replace us in the next two years no is it going to get kind of weird in the next five plus years i'm going to say yes because the reality is is that as ai continues to be used people are going to generate models that are hyper specific for roles and that's when that ai is going to have a strong possibility of replacing someone's role and so i think that's that's you know really where we see it in our organization right now well, and I mean, there has to be a shift. I mean, we know that, right? I mean, it, and it's happened in the past 20 years. I mean, um, computers and internet and software, it's all been developed. It's just happening very fast right now, right? Um, my my first thing about all that is anger because I've spent 20 years mastering things like Photoshop and I'm really good at it. And now you can hit a button and it does something that I used to be able to do by hand and nobody else could do. But now it's accessible by a lot. So that's just personal. I, I can get over that. But the thing that my, right now that I'm, I'm seeing that worries me and I try to, we've also allowed our team and, and promoted it and said, look, use it, figure it out. It's not going anywhere. Don't be afraid of it. Let, let's use it as a tool. But at the same time, don't let it be a crutch for you because um, what I'm seeing right now is uh, like the, the growth of mediocrity in the world. Um, everything is very blah. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's okay, but it sounds like just generic copy, generic art and there's no real specialness to it now again that may change over time 
right now, because it's in the hands of everybody, it's kind of like, sounds like everybody. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of surprising, um, you know, outside of the marketing realm um, and, and, and I think in some functions in different organizations, I think there is a high uh, kind of penetration rate for, for chat GPT use. Um, I was actually quite surprised when I went out to kind of general executive meetings or general kind of business colleague meetings, there wasn't actually a ton of use of chat GPT. So it's kind of interesting. I think as marketers, I think we were very much, and you know everyone on this call is is very much um, really focused on ChatGPT. And then I found in some other functions, no one really cared. No one's yeah. no, no one's actually even using it at all. And so I would think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and and so it's it's really interesting, right? Because I was talking to an accountant, and I was like, "Well, have you been using ChatGPT?" They're like, "No." I was like, "Well, did you know that ChatGPT can do Excel functions?" And they're like, "No." And I was like, dude, like, yeah, like you can write Excel functions. So you think you write good Excel functions? Well, ChatGPT is going to write it better. And then I also use it for coding all the time. So I use it to help me code just because it's a little bit faster to debug. And I can take a product that's, again, 60 to 70% and I can refine it. Um, There's something called regular expression, which is an incredibly annoying script language. Um, And you can use it to do regex for you, which is amazing because that sometimes takes like five to 10 minutes to perfect. And if you can get that to build it out to 60 to 70%, that's, that's a lot of time saving. Jack, in case you're wondering, uh, Nathan, just, just high leveled us. And we realize he's much smarter than we are. So we, (laughs) we, we were just got, we got put down in the basement just now. We are not on his level. Yeah. He's using big (laughs) words. Here's the crazy thing, and this is what I love about this, Nathan, is, you know, we are supposed to be, you know, providing this service and offering this platform. And ultimately, to me, this is like going to school every time we get to record one of these. I learn from the guest, I think, way more than they learn from us. Um, I think our, you know, three listeners probably enjoy the lesson as well. Uh, but to me, this is about seeing how other people do things in other places. And I'm here for it. It's the best. Well, look, the whole point is, is that I think when we have these conversations, you ask like these fun questions, they kind of go on these tangents and these tangents actually have some, some gems in there. Um, That's why I love having kind of just like an organic conversation about all these things, right? We can go from one tangent to another tangent, but uh, ChatGPT, like uh, before Bing, it was included in Bing. Um, By the way, if you're listening, you can actually download a Chrome plugin right now where you can actually install Bing indirectly in Chrome. So you don't actually have to use Bing. If you're, if you're not a fan of Explorer, you can actually use the Bing chat inside of Chrome. There's always ways to hack around this, which is really interesting. Um, so it's, it's, it's cool because chat GPT is being put in all these different um, use cases and they do provide a little bit different answers. So the difference between chat GPT and the actual platform versus the one in Bing is Bing is really quick for like great research. So if you're talking about like latest trends, trends and you want it to research, that's like really great in uh, on a recency perspective. And then ChatGPT is still the king in terms of producing great long form content. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love we have that. A client, we have a client of ours who um, he went in and fed it stuff. He's like a big uh, uh, early adopter kind of guy, real techie. And um, he fed it all this information. Basically, he produced himself on, 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 online. And now Everything people ask him, it, it sounds like him. He's he's given it so much information that when they talk about the specific case study or specific question, it has all the resources to literally sound just like him. And it's scary how much it does sound just like him. Yeah. And and then on top of that, outside of all the generative AI stuff, there's now also generative like audio. 
Um, and so I was really early on on generated audio and I was sending it to a bunch of people and I asked them, do you think this is me? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, wait, it's not. And, and people crazy. were shocked. Right. Because like, I'm like, so I'm not by any means like a programmer programmer. I can, I can code in Python. So I have like, I'm going to call it like third year university type skill sets. Um, but like for me to, to think that I, as a, just a regular person, can go ahead and train an audio kind of model on my voice myself and then just produce long form content on audio. So, so long story short, I could write a Kindle book and I could have this platform read out the entire Kindle book and it's probably going to be pretty decent. Uh, so that's, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Let me write that down. There's another profession that was in danger. <laughs> I mean, years <laughs> voiceover talent. I mean, it is, it's, it's a, it's a brave new world, man. But I mean, that's like saying that the guys who used to go light the torches down the street got put out of business because electricity was invented and we have, you know, electric streetlights. Now those people just went on to do something else. It, that's how this is. That's a sad story, Jackie. That is a horrible, <laughs> a horrible analogy. Those guys were like in the union of light torch lighters and they were home that night trying to wonder what happened. What happened to the world that I used to know? Look, they got to go home for dinner. We, we we have all these kinds of stories, right? We we have what? Kodak, great example. Company mm -hmm. didn't bother going digital, was scared of cannibalization. We've got Blockbuster, scared mm -hmm. of cannibalization. And the, the key theme here is, is that we, we wish um, our jobs could be irreplaceable in, in the entirety of our life. Um, I don't think we have the right to control that, nor, nor do we have the foresight to control all that. So, so I think, you know, the smartest move for anyone in our profession who feels threatened by AI is either A, adopt it, or B, get out and do something that you think is gonna add value once AI is there. Because the reality is there is still gonna be something there. Um, and and so, so I think, you know, there's a big key takeaway for anyone that's worried about AI. It's just that you got to think about it more as an opportunity versus a threat. If you continue to think about it as a threat and all you're being is defensive, you're not going to you're not going to make a better use case out of it. You're just going to be sitting there and you're going to kind of let it happen. Um, so so that's why, again, like as soon as ChatGPT came out, I, I wasn't worried. Some of my designers were worried. We have eight designers on staff. And, and I actually said to them, if you're an illustrator, I would be worried. I would be worried. Um, because because it has this ability to illustrate artistically and it has this ability to copy so well. It is it is scary. Now, that all being said, um, is it going to replace art? No. Why? Because people pay for authenticity. People pay for time. People pay for passion. That's why art exists. So I don't know if AI is ever going to replace art in, in its truest, most like authentic form. But if you're an illustrator that's selling digital prints, you should be concerned. Yeah. You're definitely on Team Jackie right now. If you um, haven't guessed yet, <laughs> as is the, the rest said, of the world. Yeah, the he said she said is a real thing. Um, we are on two different sides of the coin. Sometimes I am I am moving into that world, but I am a little more kicking and screaming. You know, Jackie's full on. Hey, bring it on! I mean, you, you guys sound like y'all talk from the same book right now. <laughs> Change is good. That's how we evolve and grow. My, my only issue is, is the accessibility to the change, right? So like now, now, so, so I was actually talking to, to someone and I said, you know, we, we actually need a way to create authentication on a, on a, on like a large scale basis. There's going, so, so 
you know, this is like maybe the zig versus zag technique where it's like, okay, everyone's going AI. So what's the zag? Well, the zag is um, people are going to be craving authenticity. And how are we going to prove authenticity? That's that's the really interesting thing, right? So is that going to be a web 3.0 kind of crypto type thing where, you know, I'm doing this podcast with you two and you and all three of us are being authenticated in real time so that when it goes on the podcast that people know it's really, you know, Jackie, Michael and Nathan talking on the podcast. And is that going to become a thing? Why? Because people are going to get tired of AI, right? You know, we're, we're almost at that point. And I, I like to like joke about this because there's a lot of these like facial AI ones where you can like put your face on and they talk for you, but they look like dystopian movies. You know, like when you're like welcoming yourself to the prison in the dystopian movie and they're like, welcome to the prison that you're going to be here for the next 20 years. And it's really awkward. Um, so, but the, again, like in maybe two or three years, it's not going to be that dystopian anymore. It's actually going to be quite authentic. And that's going to be where things are going to get more weird. And I think consumers are going to crave that authentic, real person to person touch that comes from this kind of thing, like something very organic. Um, so I'm curious to how that moves forward um, and, and what like the business of authentication is really going to look like. Yeah, I've already seen some of that with um, I saw a 60 Minutes um, or some news show the other day, and they started out the broad, the broadcast by saying the following and from the following content was developed by real humans performing real speaking. Like it was like they had to qualify that. I think they were doing it to prove a point, but it was sounded like something that's going to happen more and more, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys remember, like I think on Discovery Channel, they used to have this show like about martial arts where it's like a guy kicking a bag and it's like, who has the, like, the strongest kick? Like hypothetically right now, you could just CG all that. And, and yeah. probably no one would really know, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think I think really there is going to be this, this move towards, you know, authentic, real, validated, um, because we, we are, we're, we're innately human. We, we are human. Um, you know, until Elon Musk gets that kind of chip into every single brain and we can transport ourselves into a little hard drive, we're still very much going to be human. And we're soon going to crave that need for, for intimacy to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. What, um, or not to, uh, Jackie, I don't know if you have any more about the AI, but again, we always get dragged into this part of the conversation because it's so topical, especially what we do, but, um, working up in Canada right now and for what you do with your clients, what do you think right now is going on besides that as far as trending wise or needs of your clients, things that, that you guys are responding to? What is the biggest issues that the businesses that you work with are dealing with? The biggest issue, I think there's common issues in almost most organizations. And the most common or um, you know, issues are really just one, I think um the the overestimation of what marketing can do, um, the the misalignment between marketing and sales. Uh, the fact that marketing gets pigeonholed because you know everyone falls into the 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 bandwagon of uh, shiny objects and new trends and KPIs and all these lovely things. So I think these are all very common things. But if you're asking me like what specific challenges are happening, I think the, the more specific challenges is, is that things like AI and things like outreach tools have made things very difficult for a lot of companies. And that's just because as people get more access to being able to talk to more people at scale, that implies more and more people have spam or, you know, call it unwanted emails or unwanted contacts. And so it's a race to become the person who does the most, you know, how back in the day, we always talked about mass marketing. Like that was such an old school term. Like you came out of school, it's like mass marketing. You got to do mass marketing, but now 
Then it went to like hyper-focused, right? Then it was like, no, no mass marketing. You got to be hyper-focused. Now it's getting to the point where it's like, we have technology. You can do mass marketing plus hyper-focused at the same time. And I think that's really the biggest challenge right now. Companies are really trying to figure out how can they do mass marketing with hyper-personalization? And that's been a big challenge. Why? Because predominantly a lot of organizations, salespeople, no offense if you're listening, you're just not as technical as marketing people. So you can't do this at scale. And so now there's a lot of confusion as to, okay, well, who owns the outbound cadences? Is that sales or is that marketing? And where does that fall? And there's a ton of confusion on the accountability of that. Um, And then, so now there's that new role or newer role, which is like the chief revenue officer. So does that fall under the chief revenue officer who's hopefully supposed to liaise beside the the head of sales and then also the head of marketing? Uh, Or is that just purely the CRO's job, period? So there's there's this weird dichotomy that I think is happening where I think sales and marketing are getting more and more gray in terms of their accountability responsibilities. I think a lot of companies are still very archaic in the sense of how they view the two functions. And in my opinion, they're very much becoming a revenue function. So it's not sales anymore. It's not marketing anymore. It's a revenue function. And I say that with a lot of passion because I really hate it when I go with companies and they pigeonhole me with inbound KPI metrics. And I go, I can manipulate these inbound KPI metrics any which way I want. And you would have no idea. So you're not incentivizing me with what matters. What matters is exactly what sales does. I need to increase revenue. So I always preach this idea. Marketing isn't just about inbound. Marketing isn't just about throwing assets out there. Marketing is really about how does the function of marketing amplify revenue? And so that goes back to that, you know, is is it really a sales department anymore? Is it really a marketing department? Or is it now just one larger department that's really called revenue? And I think that's kind of the the big challenge. I think some companies are really struggling with because there's just too much information out there. And then also, frankly speaking, I think there's a lot of people that are worried about their roles. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing more and more of that um, too. I mean, our point of contact generally would be a marketing director or or, or CMO and, and it's becoming chief revenue officers and things like that. Like that, that's our contact. That's our marketing arm into a large corporation. And they're the ones that we're day to daying with. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, Jackie, but it seems like that's happening more and more, you know? A hundred percent. You know, it's interesting, Nathan. And I think when you brought this up, it really kind of resonated for me. When we talk about the role and as we evolve this mass marketing with hyper focus, to me, it's got to be somebody, and, and you said it, that's got this really nice blend of technical skills because of the automation and the processes, a little bit of sales because ultimately we're selling something, but a whole lot of marketing because it's all got to fit underneath that same umbrella. So what are you seeing as the leaders from a um, tactical platform standpoint? Is it emails taking the charge? Is it social media? Does it have to be a blend of all of them? Where do you guide people in making those decisions? So, so that's the great question. And and, and I, I love it because it does lend itself quite well to how we onboard clients. I really kind of tell clients that marketing is more about prioritizations than really anything else. And the other thing that I always tell clients is just like every tactic works. That's the truth. Whether it's cold calling, whether it's going to associations, whether it's going to conferences, whether it's emailing, whether it's demand generation, whether it's whatever brand new shiny object that Neil Patel has put out into the market, like I don't care what it is, but it works. It does work. It works for someone. And so this whole idea that 
every company has to do something um, that that's very specific in this tactical kind of playbook um, is is kind of just frustrating because because I always go it doesn't actually matter because they all kind of work. What's really more important is what's practical and sustainable for your organization, um, and then prioritizing that because you have limited resources, limited people, and limited money. So you can't possibly do a tactic that you just practically can't sustain. So, so, so why bother? So, so when it comes to our organizations, you know, email is something that I think is very sustainable and practical for a lot of organizations. What's not typically sustainable and practical about it though, is the actual technical part of email. So a lot of people don't know how to build an email infrastructure. So where does that fall? It might fall in IT, but truthfully, IT is a little slow. So it often falls on marketing and there's not a lot of marketing people that are incredibly kind of you know, IT savvy, this, this kind of borders on um, systems ops people in the sense of like systems admin, systems ops, where they actually really understand the servers, they understand the DNS hookups, like it's getting quite technical. And and so, you know, I, I would say emails is certainly something that people should be doing. But again, do you have the resources? Do you have the people to do it? Is it sustainable and practical for your, your organization? Um, and, and that's going to help prioritize. You know, demand generation is, is something that we've heard about for years and account-based marketing is something we're hearing more more and more in the last five years. And these are all great things that are working. But here's another question. Do you have a content team and do you have a salesperson who's willing to dedicate two months to build out the program? Yes or no? And are you going to be okay with these two individuals not producing revenue for you? Yes or no? And if you're not, well, then you're going to do an ABM program that's, that's you know, a version of Windows 95 Paint. It's going to look awful. It's not going to do well. And it's going to do everything kind of well but still pretty poorly. And, and so, so, so a lot of organizations want to do this, but they just don't have the resources to do it. So again, prioritizations, is it ABM? Is it going to be my email? It's going to be whatever your resources dictate. And, and I think that's why I think some companies love working with us because I, I try to really distill it down to these practical things. It's like, it's not about what works. It's like what works for our limitations. And, and maximizing on whatever that is. And it might not be perfect, but it's going to be the best we got. So, so um, that's, that's kind of our approach. And, and, you know, more often than not companies stretch their marketing teams and their, and their, and their like overall objectives, like way too thin. Um, and, and you two both know this, like the amount of technical skills required to execute marketing campaigns. It's very broad. We are the broadest department, Right. Whether it's writing, content writing, interviewing, planning, project planning, IT stuff, compliance, risk, MarStack stuff, we're the only department that has to supposedly know all these things. You look at any department, finance, accounting, um, sales, what, what do they have to do? It changes maybe like once every, what, five, six years? It changes every year for us, maybe every six months. And so, um, so like companies that like genuinely think that their marketing team that's likely uh, understaffed and likely under-resourced is going to produce all these amazing campaigns for them through all these amazing tactics. It's foolish. It's absolutely foolish. And I want to add to that understaffed, under-resourced and under-trained because every time our industry goes to these major revelations and revolutions, who's out there training all the marketing people for what that means, how to use this platform, how to, you know, I, I still have people asking me about running traditional TV ads. And I'm thinking for your audience, 
No, but that's all they know. That's what they've been doing since they got the job 30 years ago. And that's what they want to keep doing because they don't want to change. The, the people are resistant to, to, you know, that's actually it's one of the reasons why I don't, we have a saying in our company when we're hiring, you got to be, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And if you can't be, I don't want you in my organization because the reality is, is that marketing is changing all the time. Right. Um, you know, I, I said this on another podcast, I was saying, you know, just because you can media buy doesn't mean you're a good media buyer, right? Every single that's platform true. is difficult, right? Yeah, it's true to that. Yeah, just because you can put in an assertion order, good, good for you. Like, <laughs> like what what talent is that, right? You can put a bunch of numbers in an Excel sheet and then and push some paper. That's that's not a skill. That's that's administration. Hey, um, that's as, a, uh, as a certified media buyer, I need y'all both to just step back. All right. <laughs> But no, fair the, point, fair point. There's truth in all that, though. I mean, just uh, chappy, all that stuff, just the tools are very accessible right now. Um, I can go buy a, a camera that I couldn't buy years ago. I can buy a light kit that I couldn't buy years ago for pennies on the dollar. But if I don't know how to use it properly, if I don't know a three-point lighting system, if I don't know all the things that go into that, then it's going to be what it is, you know? Okay, yeah, so, so wait, I'm sorry, just to jump in onto that point, because Nathan, I, I want your, your feedback on this. To Michael's point, and I think he makes a good one, and it's kind of what we're all talking about. I can take a picture with my iPhone 14 Pro, three cameras on the back, and we're standing in the same spot, taking a picture of the same thing. I can hand him my same phone. His picture is going to look 10 times better than mine every time. So are we saying that ultimately the problem is not the tool or the talent, but it's the eye of the beholder that as a, as a species, we're starting to accept that's good enough. I don't need the nicer equipment. I don't need the better talent. I'm willing to accept something that's okay instead of demanding something that's at a higher level and that feels and looks more professional. I'm going to throw out a whim here is, is <laughs> it's not that I think it's becoming okay. I think what's actually happening is our society is, and I'm, I'm getting into non-marketing stuff. Um, I, I feel like our society is becoming more conditioned to be lazy. And so, so I don't necessarily think it's, it's, uh, I, so I really think it's selection bias in the sense of the information we consume and it's information bias. And, 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 and um, because of that, someone can take a picture from an iPhone, go to a photographer and be like, your, your camera sucks. Why? And I'm sorry if you're a person that's done this and you're listening. It's because you're lazy. You're a lazy person. You know why you're lazy? Is because you have no idea of the technical nuances between a camera and your camera on the phone. Yes, your phone with that, that image that's called, you know, maybe five inches wide is going to look amazing. You know why? Because it's five inches wide. If you blew up your five <laughs> inches wide to a 40 foot poster, you know what you're going to see? giant square boxes. So the reality is you're absolutely correct, but you are simplifying something that us marketers unfortunately have constantly done and have drilled into your brain. So good for you. You're absolutely correct. Your phone is an absolutely beautiful picture, but trust me, no one's going to pay you $50,000 for you to put that up on a billboard. So I think inherently um, human nature, we're lazy. Marketers are getting better, better at marketing and and our attention spans are going lower. The cost for substitution to learn is getting lower. We're, we're getting so adverse towards challenge that I think we are accepting things more because we're getting more lazy. And then 
we're thinking things are, are okay because we don't actually want to learn nuance. So I'll give you a really extreme example of this, right? I can sew myself up if I got cut. You can too. The internet has taught me this. Does it mean it's a great idea? No. Does it mean I've done the best job possible? No. Why? Because there are bunch of nuances and technicalities of how you should sew yourself up so that you don't have a scar. Right. And, and, and so, so I think this, this whole idea of like, we have technology that replaces other things is true, but it's, it's only true to a very limited extent. Right. And, and I think that's what's happening. Um, and, you know, I, I can even say attest that to myself, I have sometimes fallen into this trap, but you know, I learn the nuances and I, then I have an appreciation um, so, so that's, that's really what's happening. And, and unfortunately, I think that's what happens to marketers and our, in our, in our function, right? Every executive looks at our function and digests our BS that we put out, which is everything is easy and simple. And so then they look at us, it's like, well, everything's easy and simple. You should, you should be able to do it. Um, do it and fast. so we're almost yeah. like the bane of our own existence. Yeah. And you, um, and by the way, just to clarify again, you and Jackie are the same person because um, I would never consider sewing myself up or even look at a YouTube video to find out. <laughs> but Jackie has watched enough episodes and she's told me this of Grey's Anatomy that she could probably do a heart transplant. I definitely could. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, so or intubate someone at best. Intubate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 it's an, it's an interesting time. And, and um, you know, if you ever got, if you guys get a chance to go on, on my IG reels, you know, I've recently just gone through like about like 150 different research articles, consumer psychology research articles that really all go back to the same thing. So it's almost everything that we have really comes down to we have a short attention span. We we are very biased to the information that we receive. We often ignore things. So there's like a whole bunch of like psychology that really just indicates like we are inherently lazy people. We are inherently just wanting to prove ourselves right. So if we can make it really easy and really lazy for someone to prove themselves right, which is basically misinformation. So, so if like fake news, like that's exactly why fake news did so well. Um, we are just lazy, right? We don't actually want to prove whether or not that news is right. As long as it confirms our emotions and our values and our beliefs, we will believe it. We won't even seek out the truth. And so I think that's becoming more and more prevalent just because our intention spans have been trained to be shorter and shorter. Yeah, and I, I said that earlier, but the, the, kind of the same principle is that I think we're living in the age of mediocrity because we settle for things way too easily. Um, but at the same time, that's my hope is that at the end of the day, always is that, um, that the people that do grind it out, that 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 raise the bar, they're going to be sought after, and they're going to be the ones that carry the torch into whatever is next. You know, it's the ones that don't settle for that and say, because there is a difference. I think, um, you know, uh, the personal touch of someone um, when someone has a craft and they look at it that way, and whatever it is that you do, and you really honor that craft and you spend the time to learn it and to master it, um, eventually it's going to you're going to find the right people that appreciate it more than anything. You know, not everybody will appreciate it, but the right people will. You got to find them, though. Well, and so that brings us all full circle to it's not just about finding the right audience. It's about finding the right client and matching to the right agency. And so and not everybody's the right client for us. Not everybody's the right client for you. So, Nathan, what process do you go through to make sure you're finding that right chemistry match? My ideal client is the one that's actually going to let us be accountable. And, 
And I know that sounds so simple, but if you're listening, I can guarantee you, you're just lying to me because it makes you feel better that you think marketing is accountable because I can almost guarantee you, you as a listener right now, probably have a poor marketing person of which you review everything that they put out, which means they are not accountable. They're not accountable because you're reviewing it and then you're editing it and you're changing it. And a majority of organizations do this. I think there's a lot of companies that just don't understand that marketing needs to be fully accountable for their work. If you actually want it to be a productive and efficient function for the organization. Otherwise, it's just a more administrative drag on the operations. Why? Because marketing is producing all this content and now you have people in sales, finance, legal, or even just the parts of the executive team that are reviewing things. It makes no sense. Um, so, so I think for me, definitely it's just measuring how willing are they going to be on actually having marketing be accountable, knowing that the point is you're hiring me because I won't make large mistakes. I won't make mistakes where I'm betting the barn, right? So so at the end of the day, you should know that if I do make a mistake, it's probably not going to be material. That's why you're paying me money, right? You could go ahead and do the same thing for some 21-year-old who's doing TikToks, but there's a possibility they're going to put out something that's not going to be appropriate. So I think for me, it's it's really that measure of accountability and, and their willingness to give that accountability. And if you can't do that, it's often not a great fit. No, hundred percent. So what's the worst misfit that you've had? Um, you don't have to name the names, just the context. I think it's just that it's, okay. it was just like, it's, it's really being with a client where every single thing was going through design by committee. Oh. And, and then we were getting pressure for not producing. And I was like, look, my work back schedules are on time but they're getting delayed because I've got 32 people trying to cook up a loaf of bread yep. and it makes no sense. Yep. Right. So, so if you want a streamlined process, if you want something to be agile, then you got to realize you got to let us do our job. Um, and you got, and you got to also respect that you're paying me for that job. Right. So, so I, you know, it's, it's funny because marketing, I find always gets this Why? because we make marketing seem so simple. So you know what that means? Every executive feels like they have the qualifications to be a marketing person. So they feel the need to support that qualification by reviewing your work. Well, it's easy. <laughs> it's, it's easy to process that, though. I mean, you can't, you can't, as we were talking about this earlier, you can't second guess a chemical engineer because I don't know about chemical engineering, but it's easy to second guess marketing because I see it every day. I'm surrounded by it. You know, it's part of my thing. We like to call that um, Frankensteining. And if you Frankenstein something enough of like everybody in the pot, you end up with a monster. And some, when you have the monster, there's no getting it back. There's no putting it back in the cage. And there's a point where you cross that line and you're just, okay, this is a mess. This is a mess. And nope, somebody's got to like either put it down or, or start over, you know? Yeah. And it happens like way more than like, I, you know, I'm going to say like 95% of the organizations do this. It's very rare for me to find organizations where they don't have design by committee. They actually have an accountable function. Um, and so, so I think, you know, for me, for me, it's, it, it, I would say just often the, 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 the companies are the ones that sell me on this idea of accountability. And then, and then really post post launch post onboarding, it's like, Oh no, you know, um, this so-and-so needs to review it. Oh, so-and-so needs to review it. Oh, so-and-so needs to review it. And, and then, and they go, why are you taking so long? 
And I go, well, well, why don't you have your salesperson before they make a phone call, you get three people to review who they're phoning first. And then you let me know how well your, your sales team's doing. Right. Right. So it's the same process. So, so I think that's really where I get incredibly frustrated. And, and, and obviously I think the, those are by far the worst clients. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the best win? The best, like, boy, we pulled this off and I'm so glad for it. Oh gosh. I have like, I have a lot of fun wins. Good. Um, we did a campaign in Dallas for a vendor management system. I won't name out the name because I feel like they might not want other people knowing that we're helping them. Um, and uh, they, so we, it was Dallas. It was for a very, very large conference. We vinyled an entire bus. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it was a custom vinyl bus. Uh, and we had people transferred from the conference with a police envoy uh, to the Red Hot Chili Pepper concert. So this was a... So as you both probably know, there are like institutional type conferences. So like, like think of like Dreamforce, like institutional in the industry. Um, there, there are some institutionalized conferences for this category, and this was this was definitely one of them. So being a software vendor coming into a, a market that's incredibly um, old and and very legacy, um, and being a new entrant in that market is a tough thing to, to stand out. So we really wanted to have a big bang. So. That's what we did. And that was like a really fun uh, campaign. Um, I've done some other campaigns where we don't want to attend the conference, but we have salespeople going. So we've done out of home ads on trucks that essentially circle the conference. Um, so nice. essentially just like, like the trucks are just like circling the actual building. Um, so, so it's a great kind of fun exercise. It's a great icebreaker. Um, and then I just recently on one of the out of home uh, conversations I had, um, I've actually done for restaurants and I know this sounds wacky, scientifically backed by the way um i have put billboards upside down purposely okay this is this is only for new for new locations you don't do this consistently it's only for new locations right um and i actually have instructed some of the restaurants to put out their materials upside down on their retail fronts nice um and and everyone goes like that's stupid and i go well we're talking you, about it think about it. It's not because people look through the windows a lot when you do that. And that's a huge conversion factor for people going into restaurants. On top of that, it creates a ton of conversation of which the company could not afford. So (laughs) the uh, reach and impressions I got from those campaigns were quite good. Um, So those were, those are all fun wins. And I think the most like fun win probably recently was we just did Robert uh, Herdrovic from Shark Tank and we just finished his website. So that was kind of a fun win. Yeah, yeah, very That's nice. a cool project. That's very cool. Um, all right. I feel like we've covered all the major hot topics. Um, some big wins, some big challenges, how people can be good clients, AI taking over the world, a microsphere of it, um, needing to hire real professionals to do a real job, not doing it yourself. I mean, we've checked all the boxes. What have we not talked about that you were like, man, I hope they ask me about this? Um. Well, there's probably two things that I, I love to talk about just because I'm passionate, because I'm passionately hating on all the people that think they do it well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> digital media buyers, uh, I get really frustrated with them because people who come out of like the Facebook blueprint course or whatever, or like Google <laughs> ad certifications, they're like, yeah, I'm a digital media buyer. I was like, no, you're not. You're just the person who knows a bunch of, like a bunch of abundance. Um, like the, the one thing that I caution everyone is, Anyone who who runs a very strong digital media department that's very 
um, performance oriented, you need to find people that know how to manipulate the ad ecosystem. That's the keyword, manipulate. That means they know how to get around things that the platform is trying for you not to do. A great example of this, and I thought this was like common knowledge, but obviously just because I do it, it's common. Um, Facebook for location targeting. Often when you do location targeting by radius or by other things, you can't actually hyper-target, but you can actually hyper-target if you manipulate the radiuses. So what you can do is you can do a one kilometer radius, and then you can actually do exclusion radiuses around that radius to tighten it up even more than one kilometer or one mile. So things like that, those tactical details of like media buying are like where you're going to find great media buyers. Um, the other thing that's also really interesting for those that, that do any media buying on YouTube, you can actually go ahead and create a custom audience based on the last 30 days of what someone searched. So what does that mean is you can actually on YouTube show ads to people who have seen your competitors. Um, but that's like a deep, deep setting. Um, so, so I think, you know, often I've, I hear people who say, yeah, yeah, I'm a digital media buyer or yeah, yeah, I do SEO. But they're like, you know how I said I'm, a, I'm like a university, like grade three, kind of level three, year right. three coder. I find like most digital media buyers and SEO people I have met are like, I don't know, grade five, not even university. But they're yeah. claiming yeah. in their professional settings that they're like they're professional. And so I find that incredibly frustrating. And, and it's also what I think is a tactical skill set in the world of marketing that I feel like people don't understand the depth to it. Um, and the depth gets really, really deep. Like it's a, it's a bottomless well. And so I would love to see more great digital media buyers. I would love to see more great SEO people. And it's a really tight community and there's really few and far between. Yeah. yeah I found that too. Even, even especially in SEO, even the experts, I'm, as I'm having a conversation with them, I only know enough to get me in trouble and I can usually right away know that they're making shit up. Like they're, they, they read it in a book, they've heard it in a conference and they're saying something, They but it's basic level. I'm like, okay, you can't back any of that up. There's no truth to what you're saying. Now you're just selling me. And and if and if I can figure that out, then, then I know it's not probably not a good thing because I only know so much. And so yes. I think that happens more and more. There's so many people that jumped into that that category or that business and they just, they use it as a, um, a quick entry point without actually doing the work, you know? Yeah, we, we actually manage like five figure monthly SEO budgets for clients. Uh, so like our, our SEO budgets are massive. Uh, so I've been doing SEO since I was very young. Um, so I also did black hat SEO. So I did a lot of spam back in the, back in the day, like 10 years ago. So I've been in SEO for a long time and it's just, it's really just, it's just incredibly frustrating when I meet people that come in, especially for interviews who are like, I know SEO and I always pick on them for that. I every time they put SEO on their, on their resume, I go, I saw you, uh, you're, you're, you say you're technically proficient at SEO. Can you explain to me what SEO means to you? And it's always the same Neil Patel garbage. Right. Sorry, Neil, you're a great marketer, but like you don't write your stuff anymore. You know it. Um, so like the reality is, is like, it, there's so much more substance to it. It's so much more complicated. And if it was so easy, like everything else, why aren't we all just printing money on Google? Right. Right. Because it's never as easy as the experts uh, make it sound like it is. Man, Nathan, this was more than I bargained for. This was awesome. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time and giving us the insights. I think that everybody listening is going to appreciate knowing this. Where else can they find you if they want to connect and follow up? 
Awesome. So um, you can follow me on Instagram at fya.marketingbytes, and that's with a Y. So that's generally where I'm posting quite often. Um, if you are not an Instagram user, you can go ahead and find me on TikTok with the exact same handle, um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And then lastly, you can also find me at www.findyouraudience.online. There you go. Y'all heard it here first. Check him out. Nathan, thanks for your time. We really appreciate you. Bye. Thanks so much, Jackie. Well, the day is through.